Podcast. My name is Mickey Turner. You can find me online on Twitter at TurnerESQ and at SoccerESQ.com. I'm also a contributor with The Athletic and Sounder at Heart. The suspension of promotion and relegation has fueled speculation that the relationship between MLS and Liga MX will only grow closer with a potential merger in the future. While that merger isn't anywhere close to being announced, it still makes for interesting chatter. So to discuss those issues, I brought in Tom Marshall of ESPN, who covers all things Liga MX from Mexico City. He's a great resource and has broken a lot of news on the topic. And so we had a great conversation talking about the promotion and relegation suspension, a future merger, and how Mexico is dealing with the coronavirus. It's a great conversation, and I hope you enjoy it. All right, joining me now from ESPN is uh, Tom Marshall, who covers all things Liga MX. Uh, great resource, has been breaking a lot of news, and with everything going on, uh, I figured I'd give him a, a ring to kind of see where things stand with Liga MX and also some of the reporting he's done on uh, promotion relegation, uh, mergers or acquisitions and things like that <laughs> with uh, MLS. So, Tom, uh, thanks for giving me a call, or thanks for giving me a chance to talk to you. No, no worries, Mickey. And yeah, thanks for the, thanks for the invite. Yeah, I mean, you know, if the coronavirus wasn't kind of enough to have on your plate, I mean, all the big changes as well. It's like it has been a crazy few weeks here, um, you know, on and off the field in a way. Yeah, absolutely. Same, same here up in Seattle and just all across uh, North America. And uh, before we get into kind of the, the main uh, League MX stuff, I wanted to chat a little bit with, about you with your background. Um, how long have you been down in uh, Mexico covering League MX? Um, I've, I've been living in Mexico now about, I think it's coming up to 12 years. So, yeah, quite quite a while. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I mean, I first came down, I think it was 2009. Yeah, I think 2009 first came down and then, I don't know, I just started working actually for a newspaper um, in Guadalajara and it was a newspaper that went out in English and it was basically, you know, just after finishing university, I did like Latin American studies and, and international relations and basically it was, I kind of just wrote to a lot of um, newspapers in in all of Latin America and kind of said, uh, have you got a job? Give me a job. <laughs> and uh and this one in Guadalajara said, you know, we'll, you know, we'll pay you. I think it was about 250, 300 dollars a month. Um, but they said, you know, come down and and we'll kind of, you know, train you up. And basically, it was kind of just a foot in the door, really, and and a chance to to kind of learn about journalism. And then, you know, the football side um, kind of came with living in Mexico and going to the games and kind of reading the newspapers and the sports, especially the sports newspapers, every day and kind of just picking up and. I don't know, obviously, you know, talking to people as well. I mean, just that that's where the, the kind of football side came on and, you know, basically just started my own blog. And, um, and I don't know, I was just, I didn't really expect it because I just yeah. did it kind of just because, you know, I, I enjoyed doing it. But, you know, people kind of picked up on it and, and offered me money to write about kind of soccer. And I was like, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I still, I still can't. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing, especially <laughs> these days with just how the journalism in the industry is. Uh, you know, I, I went to journalism school um, or school for journalism myself, although I went, you know, end up going to law school and just kind of uh, coming around full circle to come back to kind of sports journalism has just been pretty fun and interesting for me. Although my timing probably isn't so great, given <laughs> everything that's going on in the journalism in, industry. Uh, what have you liked about uh, uh, working in Mexico uh, and covering Liga MX? I mean, I don't know, there's just, it's never dull. I mean, there's literally always, always something going on. 
I mean, I think that's that's the kind of that's the kind of best thing. I think you know, learning the the cultural side of it as well, because obviously, you know, it's very different than than MLS. It's very different from kind of football in in Europe. Um, and yeah, I mean, I don't know a lot of things. <laughs> it's uh, the style of player like as well. I think a lot of the a lot of the Mexican teams, you know, like to pass the ball. They like to play it along the ground. They like to play, you know, attacking attacking style of football. And you know, I you know really like that as well. And um, yeah, I guess you know making friends as well with you know with the with the Mexican journalists and I don't know just kind of establishing myself kind of over here as well because I think. I don't know. Over the last few years, I think I've kind of got my kind of foot in the door in terms of being a bit more known yeah. within Mexico as well. Which, which you know, which is for me, it's been massive because it's it's kind of just earning a bit of respect in the country as well. It's not it's not always easy. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you said you you did Latin American studies uh, when you were studying at university. So uh, were, were you fluent in Spanish uh, when you went down there, or did you you know kind of uh, refine your uh, your your language skills when you got there? Yeah, no, definitely it was a case of refining. I mean, <laughs> you know, I could, you know, obviously could converse and, and you know, I could speak okay. Um, I actually lived in Cuba for six months as well um, before that. So, you know, so I, so when I came to Mexico, I actually had a bit of a Cuban accent, which uh, they all made fun of me. <laughs> they made fun of it. So, um, but yeah, no, I mean, obviously basically being here and, and kind of being immersed in it, I mean, there's no... I don't know. You don't have a choice. You know what I mean. It's not like you're doing it on an app or anything. It's like you, if you want to go and get some tacos from the, you, you have to speak it. You know what I mean. There's no yeah. way of, there's no way around it. And if your car breaks down or if you're getting on the bus or you know anything, then you just you're thrown into that situation where you have to find a solution. I mean, even if you don't know the words, you have to kind of find a, a solution to to something that you that you need. Yeah, it's pretty interesting, and especially. Uh... Just, you know, I, I did, uh, you know, a study abroad program um, in Costa Rica for six weeks. And it's, it's really actually pretty funny in how quickly you can get immersed in the language as long as you put in the effort. Um, and especially when you have the necessity of needing to get around, uh, it, it, yeah. it comes much quicker than you than you actually think. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the key for me, there was, there was almost a turning point where, you know, you kind of you get to a point where you realize you're never going to speak it as well as a native speaker. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. you can be here 30 years and it's still going to be your second language. You know what I mean? But that doesn't matter. I mean, that's not that doesn't have to be an impediment. I mean, you know, it, that that's just the way things are. And there's no point being kind of embarrassed about it or kind of, you know, making mistakes because you're going to make mistakes. And I think mm -hmm. when I got to the point of where, you know, you don't have to speak it perfectly and you don't you know, you are going to make mistakes. Then it's kind of it kind of opens a lot of doors because I don't know, you're just not as concerned about, you know, how, how you're being perceived by others and, and how, you know, how, how you're speaking. But obviously, you know, learning the cultural things and the, the usted and how to speak to an older person compared to a younger person. I mean, you know, those things you really do have to learn because they can get you into trouble. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So, and that actually, uh, you know, kind of the cultural side leads into our discussion on some of the news that's been coming out of Liga MX. And I wanted to start with uh, the promotion relegation news that you've been reporting on. Um, we got a caught hints of this. Uh, I want to say last fall, maybe at last October, November, um, that uh, uh, the FMF was thinking of suspending the promotion relegation. Uh, we got, uh, I guess, official news on that um, over the last week or so um, that they're suspending uh, promotion relegation for the last or uh, for the next uh, five to six years, uh, right up until the 2026 World Cup. 
And before I get your thoughts on that specific news, I wanted to, you know, at least dive a little bit back into uh, the promotion relegation historically, obviously the system in Mexico is vastly different than it is um, around the around the world where, where promotion relegation is, is uh, you know, just second nature to soccer. So yeah. uh, if you could give me a little bit of, of the background on how Mexico's version of promotion relegation came to be um, and kind of the problems that they've had with it over, say, the last you know five to eight years. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting because, you know, if you go way back to like the nineteen fifties and, and sixties and um you know, it was it was pretty much full promotion relegation. There was none of this kind of um points per game league over the past three years like like there is well like there was. So I don't know. I I always see Mexican football is kind of is influenced by a lot of other places. You know, it's got a, it's being pulled a lot of ways. And obviously you've got the kind of European influence. Um, you know, obviously the historical link with Spain, but then you've got also the South American influence. A lot of Argentina, um, you know, as, as obviously the presence has been felt. But then you've got the, the the United States as well. So in terms of the relegation, it's kind of um, it's kind of come together. And I think basically the the system is designed. Um, you know, it's it's not full promotion relegation. And I think that some of the debate that's going on, you know, now about the second division being, you know, that not no longer teams being allowed to get promoted i mean it was very very difficult to get promoted anyway um and yeah i mean the system was basically designed to protect the big clubs i mean the same same in argentina it was it's a very similar system to the to the argentine system and basically you know the the owners basically need chivas they need america and you know cruz azul and, and pumas as well they need those teams the big four you know they've got they've got fans all over the country and you know, economically as well, it's just you need those four teams in the league. So the theory was that you know none of those four can be can be so terrible um, for three complete years or six seasons. So you know that's basically how it came about, and and it's basically the same. And I think it's the same kind of underlying kind of line of thought that that's going on now. I mean, it's the owners protecting you know their investment. I mean, you know they don't want they don't want to lose the investment by going down, which is obviously the same similar philosophy that we see in, in MLS. So, so yeah, it's been a kind of very different system and, and over recent years, it's kind of, well, it's just, it's just not worked. I mean, it's been, it's been a disaster. I mean, I think, you know, I've said, I've said for quite a while now that, you know, it, it needed reforming, you know, the, whether you like the, the promotion relegation being suspended or not, it hundred percent needed reforming because it was a joke. I mean, it was an absolute yeah. joke how, you know, you get teams, I think going back to 2013, 14, you'd had, you had a team getting promoted and then being sold to another team that had got relegated. Then another team comes in and buys another club. And it's just like these, <laughs> these clubs are moving around like musical chairs. And it's like, you know, the sporting side wasn't, you know, that, that wasn't the uh, the priority then. And, you know, I don't think it really is now. It's not, who, who, you know, who the best team is. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, that, that's how... That's how I kind of see it. I mean, I think that um, I think what's happened over the last few years is that I think in 2017, Liga MX made a big decision. I don't think it's been kind of highlighted enough, um, even within Mexico. But the moment that Liga MX decided that a certification system for the clubs in the second division, the moment that happened, they were controlling anyways promotion and relegation. Because they were saying to the second division clubs, you can't get promoted unless you have the certificate that we are giving you. 
And so you've seen since 2017, the second division go from 18 clubs to 12 today. Yeah. And obviously the second division owners have got, they've got a choice. They either invest in the club and try and get that certificate so that they can get promoted or, you know, well, what's the point of being in the second division? You know what I mean? I mean, it was completely pointless. So I think a lot of them, they had financial trouble and obviously that's led to the, to the point where we're at now. I mean, I, I think the interesting question is, you know, I think something needed to be done um, 100%, but I think the other interesting question is how much has Liga MX kind of pushed this to such a degree that this was, they were just, they were just backing them into a wall and now this has happened and they, they basically had no option but to accept this, uh, the suspension and, and a rescue payout basically, which is how it's been kind of portrayed from, from the league side, from like kind of the official side. Yeah, and and again, for people who may not be too familiar with Liga Max, uh, as you said, it's basically like a, the, the previous promotional relegation was basically a three-year rolling average of the points you had gotten a season. Um, it was averaged, and then the team with the lowest uh, points was was relegated. Um, you know, teams could go up and down um, if you came right up and then had such a terrible season that you had the lowest average, you can go right back down. Um, and you, you mentioned that. Th- this was basically done to protect the big four, as it were. Um, is and, and was that generally just due to they just could not afford to have those teams down for fi- financial reasons? You just couldn't have an America or a Guadalajara uh, going down to the lower division um, and you know just foregoing all of that money. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think so. Yeah, I mean, it's it's also interesting because the the kind of legal X model is the, the the owners make the decisions. I mean, it's not a top down system where legal MX kind of you know dictates this is how it's going to be, and the owners kind of have to follow after obviously a debate. This mm-hmm. is a legal MX owners get into the room and tell the league basically how they want it to be, and so so you look at the decision making process and basically if you get you know 15, 18 owners in a room, they're gonna make decisions that protect their own. So, yeah, I think, you know, obviously the, the big four, it was definitely to protect them, but it's also the, the other clubs as well. I mean, you have to be pretty bad over three years, you know, to be the worst team over three years is, you know, you have to be bad. I mean, there's no yeah. doubt about it. And if you're bad for one year, you can rescue it. You know, if you're bad for two years, you might be struggling a little bit, but you can still rescue it. Um, and so, yeah, I just think it was, a, yeah, it was, it was to cover the owner's investment, if you like. Yeah, and obviously that's you know, kind of similar to MLS, and we'll certainly talk about that um, here in a bit. Um, and so I guess let's talk a little bit about the suspension itself. So it's uh, you know basically running up to the 2026 World Cup. Um, I you know I guess the question a lot of people are going to ask is is this just kind of a Trojan horse, a way to just eliminate promotion relegation entirely, um, and and or is this leading up to some type of uh, other system in place? Uh, what have you heard on that? And just kind of what's, what's your thought on where we're going to end up here as we kind of roll into the 2026 World Cup? Yeah, no, it's, I think it's the big question. It's the big question because if if you kind of, you know, even from my point of view, like my you know personal opinion, if you if they follow what they've said in terms of, because the League of MX clubs are giving money out every year, I think 850000 US dollars per second division club each year you know i think there's going to be a collective tv rights deal for the second division um which should boost you know kind of income i think there might be a separate sponsorship deal as well um and so if you package it like that and and you say 
kind of, you know, this this is what's going to happen. And then after six years, we're going to reopen it again. You know, I, I might buy it. You know what I mean? I, I don't think it's the worst idea because it looks like there's going to be, you know, a total of only eight over over eight players per squad over the age of 23. So it is going to be a de- developmental league as well. But this is the big thing in, I think, in Mexican Mexican soccer in general. It's the things can things can change so quickly. I mean, in the course of one owners meeting, you can you can see a big decision being made. Um, and I think that there's there's very little trust that after six years. Yeah. The owners are suddenly going to decide. Oh, you know what? Yeah, let's open it up again now. Um, I think the other the other issue as well is that the the, the kind of financial package is it going to be anywhere near enough? To get a second division club, you know, from from maybe not the biggest town in Mexico, you know, Tlaxcala, I think, might have a club, Tepatitlan in Jalisco. I mean, some of these clubs that, that, that are being talked about, you know, is that going to be enough money to suddenly, after six years in the kind of world football, you know, maybe receiving $6 million over six years, is that going to be anywhere near enough to get them in a position to improve to then to then be able to make the jump to to Liga MX, um, you know I think there's big question marks about that. So I mean uh, yeah it's a it's a massive issue and and there there has to be doubts about it. Um, but yeah I I think it's going to be still a, a kind of more of a franchise system. I think that's what they're looking at. You know they, that was the certification that they introduced in 2017. They want to absolutely guarantee that the clubs coming up give something to the league. And you know over the last few years we've seen. We've seen two clear examples, you know, Atletico San Luis, owned by Atletico Madrid, they got promoted through the through the regular system. Yeah. And then you've got FC Juarez, who who went up last summer after buying Lobos Wap. So they didn't even go up kind of through the through the, the normal system. They just bought out a new club. But that's what they want. That's what Liga MX want. They don't want Lobos Wap in the league because Lobos Wap were, you know, a, a university club based in Puebla. Basically, had very, very well. They had no fans. I mean, it was just a, it's just a, a university club that the students used to go on a Friday afternoon to watch the games. I mean, they don't, wow. but they don't want that. They want, they want investors that are going to come in and build a new stadium. And, and, and the other one that I think is really important is Veracruz because I think what happened with Veracruz last year, where they stopped paying players' wages, you know, the, the I think they went 40 something games without a win. Um, you know, it was an absolute disaster. What happened with that club? Um, it, it was basically political as well. Um, the guy is a politician who owned it, and then you know the the state government changed, the municipal government changed, and all of a sudden you had this guy from one political party and the state and the mu- uh, municipality on uh, run by another one, and so they pulled all the funding from him, and then all of a sudden you got a club that had just wasn't fit, um, and I think you know Liga MX are absolutely desperate to be fair to him. For that not to happen, because that was an absolute just massive disaster. And, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about the MLS stuff, but, you know, yeah. MLS, MLS can't, they don't want a club like Veracruz anywhere near their product. Yeah. And, and, and let me ask this, this before we do move on to the MLS um, side of things. What how would you characterize the the overall financial picture of Liga and Max at this point? Um and you you can talk a little bit about the second division if you want to, uh, the Ascenso. Obviously, we know how, how it is currently. It's not great. Um, but at the top level, are things, generally speaking, uh, going well? TV deals, attendance? Uh, where, where where would you kind of put your finger on on where the league is as a whole? I think it's mixed. 
you know, I think I don't think you can say it's amazing. I don't think you can say it's really bad. I mean, you know, right now you've got the peso dollar exchange rate. I think it's gone before it's around 24, 25 now. And you know, three months ago it was 19, and a lot of the contracts for players are in dollars. So you know, the Mexican game's suffering right now because of that, not just the coronavirus. And in general, I think for sponsorship, I think the economy's not been great in Mexico. Um, so it has been a struggle. Like for example. You know, people make fun of the, um, you know, the shirts for Liga MX teams have so many sponsors. Yeah, yeah. Have, like, and and but the, the reason behind that is Mexican companies they're not willing or companies investing in Mexico they're not willing to kind of buy the whole shirt if if you like and just have one sponsor on top. So from a, from a financial point of view, the clubs get multiple sponsors to kind of make up that money in a different way. Um, it's just one example that you know that the economy is obviously very different here than than in the states or or in a lot of European countries. So yeah, it, it has been difficult. On the other hand, I think the potential is huge. Yeah. And uh, and I think this is the this is the big thing, and this is why it's a historic moment, you know, for the Mexican game. I mean, if they can put together a collective TV rights deal, I mean, all you know, the the, the viewing figures in Mexico are absolutely amazing. And then you've got the viewing figures in the United States, which is, you know, it's the most watched soccer league in the States. But, mm-hmm. you know, you've got every club going to Univision, you know, Univision, going to ESPN, going to Fox and trying to sell the, the rights on an individual basis. So if you're Puebla or Morelia and you're going over to the States and saying, hey, give me give me a deal, then you're not going to get a great deal. Suddenly, if you can package all that together and you've got Chivas, America, Cruz Azul, Puebla, Morelia, everybody going together and saying, you know what, we're the, we're the most watched league in the United States, you know, give us a give us a good deal. And the feeling is that the income for Liga MX clubs is going to be substantially greater. Um, and I think the other the other big kind of potential that the, the, the Mexican game has and, and you know, it, this, this is it's linked to MLS as well, 100 percent, is that there's the potential for investors to come in. You know, I think that all apart from 17 out of the 18 clubs right now are owned by Mexican companies. You've only got Atletico San Luis, which is owned obviously by Spain. Um, and I think that's the that's the opportunity. I mean, I think if if you if you can attract that investment as well, which is for me, it's 100% linked to the to ending or suspending promotion and relegation. It's kind yeah. of a it's a it's a carrot for potential foreign investors to say come in. You know, we're open. We're the most watched league in the United States. We've got a huge market in the United States that pay in dollars. Uh, look at the Mexican national team and, you know, their average attendance of, you know, close to 50,000. Look, we're, we're a really powerful force in, in this region of the world. And, you know, we're exciting league. So, um, so yeah, I mean, just uh, I know I was rambling there, but just to, to wrap it up, I'd say it's mixed. You could You can argue it both ways, if you know what I mean. Yes, and yeah, there's obviously massive potential there. Uh, as you mentioned, the uh, the ratings for uh, Liga MX in the United States are are fantastic, especially relative to MLS uh, and the ratings they get, which is a good place for us to talk about this uh, talk of a partnership, I guess, for lack of a better word, between MLS and Liga MX. Obviously, MLS has been uh, ramping up the partnership uh, with the uh, trying to win the CCL, uh, CONCACAF Champions League. And then we've had uh, Leagues Cup and Champ- uh, Campionis Cup. And there have been talks of some type of greater partnership uh, regarding the two leagues, if not an outright merger. Um, and so I guess let me uh, you've done a lot of reporting on this. What 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 are you hearing about 
you know, the likelihood of the various types of partnerships beyond what is currently already happening um, and how would those work? I think the logistics of the two leagues just outright merging is obviously, you know, it, it's difficult to comprehend how that would happen without promotion and relegation. Uh, but what, what are you hearing about kind of, you know, what people are kind of talking about behind the scenes, even though this is not anything that's imminent? Yeah, I mean, I think I think the way of understanding it is that it's a it's a step by step process. I think that I think that's really important. I think the other important thing is that both sides have shown a lot of commitment to it. I mean, this thing with promotion and relegation in Mexico, I mean, you can't underestimate how big it is for for a league with the history of Mexico and 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 you know the the size of the league to suddenly suspend promotion and relegation. I think that's sending a huge message to MLS that they're serious. You know they're serious mm-hmm. about this partnership, and maybe maybe nobody knows what it's going to look like in in ten years, but but they are serious about it. Um, and yeah, that, I mean that's the way I understand it, uh, step by step. Um, obviously you've got the league's cup. I think that you know this year was going to be an extended league's cup. I think the year after you're going to see a league's cup that takes place in part in Mexico as well, and I think it's going to double again. So you've almost got every every club then involved in it, um, but. The way I think it's going to work is like Major League Baseball, where you've got the American and the National League. That I don't think they played interleague play until 1997. Uh, I'm not I'm not a baseball expert by any means. Yeah, around then, yeah. But I think I think that that's for me from what I've heard from both sides, that's a model that they're looking at. Um, and the and what what you have basically is interleague play. So you have a a, a portion of the season which is why League's Cup is so important. Because if you can get League's Cup up and working and there's interest and it's and it's logistically possible, then the next step is naturally into League and where you get real points on, at stake for both leagues. And then, uh, obviously, both leagues are, are quite independent um, and, and you get to the Campeones Cup, which is obviously, in theory, the World Series between between both leagues. Now... Yeah, it's a difficult sell. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's you know it's a smooth path, but I just think that model is. I think it's staring staring us in the face to be honest. Um, because I, I think agree. you know like you know I think Henry Henry at Yahoo Sports did kind of a potential that you can keep League MX and MLS and then have a a kind of super league with 20 teams. And and you no, know, I love the idea and I love people throwing around these ideas. I think they're absolutely brilliant, but it. I don't know how you get there, me. I don't know how you get to a point from both sides. I mean, from the Mexican side, you know, are you going to have Gamma? Are you going to have Tam? Are you going to have a collective deal between the two, TV deal between the two leagues? I mean, the, you can just write a list that is so long that, you know, the, the double season in Mexico per year. I mean, are you going to get rid of that? I mean, the, the list of potential obstacles is so long. And if, you, if the time frame really is the 2026 World Cup, I don't know how you get there. But if you do the interleague play and the MLB model, then then I get it. Then I, I really I feel like I understand it because you don't have to you you have to come together like we've seen with this promotion relegation. You know, Mexico, the Mexican side are going to have to do things, the MLS side are going to have to do things to to kind of tweak and get closer together. But you don't have to meet in the middle. You know what I mean? You can still remain separate and independent yeah. and have real games and have that that final. I mean. I mean, the obstacle for me is how do you sell that Campeones Cup where the the fan out there really cares about it? I think that's 
that's the thing that I that I I don't know. That's that what I can't get my head around really. Yeah, and then the other thing I would say is that is is difficult to see how they reconcile would be any type of TV rights. I mean, um, when you talk about coming together in some type of more robust league, how would you possibly divvy up those TV rights? Um, Obviously, with the current setup, I guess suppose it's easy enough uh, with the League's Cup and the Campione's Cup. But if you start doing interleague play, uh, you start getting a little bit more dicey. But, you know, maybe, you know, I don't know. What what are your thoughts on, you know, how they would possibly reconcile getting a TV deal in those in that way? I mean, yeah, I think you keep it separate as well. I mean, I don't think you. I don't think you have to have one for the whole thing. I mean, I think the Mexican. I mean, in an ideal world, and I think Mexico are really trying to work for it. They get their own collective TV deal. MLS gets their own collective TV deal. It wouldn't. I mean, I mean, if you look at the market right now, there's two very obvious candidates, and this isn't any kind of inside information. But you know, you've got TUDN, Univision, mm-hmm. Televisa, and you've got ESPN, and they've kind of shown, especially in Mexico, that they have worked together a little bit. You know, maybe one side gets the Spanish rights, the other side the English rights, and then on the other side of the border you flip that round. I mean, I, I don't know, but um, but yeah, I, I think I think the the issue for Mexico is getting their kind of collective TV deal, and it's really difficult because you've got Club America who, who are owned by Televisa, and Televisa is do the any, and so if you can have an have an open bidding process, Televisa can't really lose. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't understand how it's gonna, how that would actually work. That's the, that's for me another massive obstacle for the collective TV deal in Mexico. But in terms of the kind of the model and the interleague and and that kind of thing, I think both win, um, because MLS when their TV deals come up, they 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 can go to the the different partners and and say, look, we're playing Mexican teams, you know, X amount of times per year, um, you know, everybody's gonna tune in. You know, it's the bits the most watched league in the in in uh, in the United States, and that moving forward, you know, people are going to pick up more on MLS, and then the MLS ratings will also get a boost. I think that, and I think the idea is that they can then get more money from a TV deal from the Mexican side. I think the I think the incentive is the value of the clubs. I think the clubs, the club owners, and again, the, those are the guys making the decisions. <laughs> the, you know, they they know that if they get closer to MLS and if they have real league play with MLS, then if you're, you know, someone in Asia looking to invest in a club, then all of a sudden that becomes quite, you know, it becomes quite appealing. I mean, you put together the alliance with MLS and you put together the potential of collective TV deal and um, and, and the dollar market, which is absolutely vital. And all of a sudden, it, it, I think I think that becomes a lot more appealing and the values of the clubs go up. Um, and obviously, if you're a league member club owner, then you're happy, <laughs> you know, you're delighted with that. So, I mean, I, I think I can see both sides get something from that. And um, but yeah, like I said, I think the big thing is the I don't know what you think, Mickey, but I just think from the Mexican side, especially selling it to the fan is tough. I mean, it's you know, MLS hasn't had a great record in the Concacaf Champions League um, of late, and it's difficult to say to the or ever, yeah. <laughs> But it's difficult to say to the average Mexico fan in Mexico and, and even in the United States, hey, you know what? Uh, we need to join with MLS because they're really great at business and marketing. <laughs> <You know? laughs> That's not much of a, uh, a sell, at least not to the average fan. I guess this also circles around to the the uh, promotion relegation um, issue. If you start having games with points against MLS teams, 
uh, you know, and you start and you're doing this to try to uh, spur investment, foreign investment even in the league. Uh, it, it seems to me that that's, you know, bringing back promotion relegation is essentially a non-starter at that point. Is that how you see it? Yeah. Yes and no. I mean, if you're really idealistic and then and this Ligue MX plan works and then all you, all of a sudden you've got second division clubs that are legitimate franchises that can legitimately you know build a new stadium can give something to the league then you could see them going up but yeah I mean the the, the other side of that is obviously the, the from the Ligue MX side they're not going to want to get relegated after after being part of all that but yeah I mean I think that's an issue that I mean it's typical of the way the Mexican game works, but it feels to me very much like they're going to sort that out at a later date. <laughs> like it's not the priority right now. Yes. And they're going to see in six years where they're at and then decide. And, you know, if it's going to be another scandal and, you know, they, they suspend it for another six years, then it wouldn't surprise anybody, you know, and they'll ride it out. They'll ride out the scandal. And basically, you know, what, what, what are people going to do? Absolutely. And then actually, uh, for our last a little bit of topic and you, you kind of reference is not necessarily the priority right now um, because we're dealing with a worldwide pandemic. And uh, I wanted to just get your brief thoughts on how Liga MX has been handling uh, the coronavirus pandemic. Obviously, they were one of the last leagues to stop playing um, and they went behind closed doors before they stopped playing. Um, and so I just want to get your thoughts on, number one, how they've handled it. And what are you hearing about a potential return uh, to the field and under what conditions? Yeah, no, I mean, I think that um, I think they shouldn't have played that last on the games. I think, you know, the information coming in from, from different parts of the world was pretty clear about, you know, the not, not having fans together is that shouldn't have happened. Um, you know, but in, in the defense, they were taking advice from the government and the government weren't weren't banning large scale events at that time. Um, and there was actually there's actually a, a music festival. I had tickets for it as well <laughs> that same weekend. There was, um, I think there was like 50,000 people there and it went ahead. And so the government weren't banning. I didn't go, by the way, because it was just like, you know, it doesn't didn't seem like the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think they were they were taking the lead from from the um, from the government. And obviously the legal rights president has contracted coronavirus, coronavirus. I mean, he's recovered now. But I mean, I think that kind of shocked everyone. I think the president of San Atletico San Luis as well. So I think that kind of made everybody kind of take a step back and like, look, we need to take this really seriously. And in terms of getting back, um, I mean, they've got, I think they've got five scenarios. That they're, they're looking at all five and, and one of them's like starting up towards the end of the year. So they're not kind of, they've not got a, a set date, but I think they're, they're very, very much hoping that by mid-June, the clubs will be back in pre-season and that by the, the first weekend in July, they'll be playing and they'll be playing behind closed doors. Um, so, so I think that's the big idea, and then they can just about squeeze in the the clausura, and and the apertura will start. It won't be too late starting, if you know what I mean. It, it's not going to be starting too late, and you know, in the in terms of the playoffs, they're thinking about potentially playing just one game instead of the two, instead of the home and away, it'll just be one game. Um, so yeah, I mean, they they, they are they are kind of looking at it. Um, I think it's really ambitious to start again in July. Yeah. With this, I mean, just looking at the graph, I mean, graph in Mexico, the the curve or whatever, it's it's going up. I mean, there's no doubt about it. It's going up. It's going up. And I don't know 
till you at least flatten it and or it starts to go down i don't know how i don't know how you can start planning um to get people together again i mean it just seems not not, not the thing to do yeah and just a, a quick follow-up and so the clausura or what remains of it including the playoffs you you think that probably that would most likely be played behind closed doors um there's no scenario you see where fans are allowed in say this summer no i don't i don't think so um i mean the other the other thing is and i actually said it right at the start i want i would still wouldn't be surprised if it's cancelled um although that's just my opinion and the word from the league is very much like we're going to play this at all costs like they want to finish the season but I just think when you look at what's happened with France, with um, with the Netherlands and and with Argentina now as well, um, I don't know. I just think that you know, you've only played 10 rounds of games. It's not like it's the fairest system as well. It's not like a Liverpool yeah. in England where, you know, you know, where you where you where you each team plays each other home and away. And, you know, it's basically you only play each team once, you know, and, and then there's a playoff. So it is quite random how, you know, the, the, the way you win a league is quite random in Liga MX and, um and yeah, no, you know, it's um, we'll see we'll see what they do, but that's uh, that's what I think they're going to try and do. They're going to try and finish the clausura. I think that they're obviously suffering the TV. The TV are going to want those games, um, even if there aren't people in the stadiums. And um, and yeah, I think that's what the that's what they're definitely aiming for. I think that's a good place to leave it. Um, Tom, thanks so much for joining me. And uh, before you leave, uh, where can people find your work uh, aside from ESPN, of course? <laughs> no, yeah, um, on on uh, at Mexico World Cup on Twitter is probably the best place to find me, and then obviously on ESPN FC. So yeah, thanks for the uh, thanks for the invite, Mickey. Much appreciated, and good to good to chat about these these issues. No, because they're really I don't know they they could have long term repercussions for not just Mexico but obviously the game in in North America. Absolutely, Tom. Thanks so much for joining me, and we I'll look forward to seeing what happens because uh, we're going to probably get some news here uh, coming up pretty soon. <laughs>